Well, every year, the last Sunday of the year, we do the Bible Challenge message. It's been a tradition for, um, for a long time at Cherry Hills. Uh, if you're not familiar with it, maybe this is your first time, basically what uh, we do is we issue a challenge to the entire church family to be in the Word this next year. So actually, if you're following along in the notes, I'm going to give it to you right up front, that first line. We invite you to be in the Bible every day in 2015. We invite you to be in the Bible every day in 2015. We do this Bible challenge because we found that this is one of the best ways, one of the primary ways that we grow in our faith is when we commit to being in God's word throughout the year. We want to be first-handers with the word of God. We want to be self-feeders. And this, this helps us to grow in our faith. Now, I think I have to acknowledge an elephant in the room. Um, some of you, you're here for Christmas, you're visiting family, and you do this every year. And you come to Cherry Hills on this Sunday every year. And you hear the Bible Challenge message every year. <laughs> do they ever talk about anything else, right? Well, we do, I promise. But even as I say that, we, we did a series in Second Timothy in the fall, and we did three messages on the Bible. We're preaching on it today, and we're preaching on it next week. So we do really value the Word, but I promise we do talk about other things. I do hope, though, that today for you, there's something new that you'll hear, um, something fresh, something that the Lord might speak to you uh, in a new way. Now, maybe you come here today, and you're not so sure what you think about the Bible. You're a little skeptical, and even maybe even think we're a little crazy for doing a message like this. That's okay. Or, or maybe you come, and you really like the Bible, um, but you have a hard time reading it. There's things you don't understand or it's easy to get distracted uh, and things get busy and you're not consistent with it. You feel like this is something you're supposed to do that God wants you to do, but it's really hard to do. Or maybe it comes really easy for you. You love the Bible and it's, it's so natural for you to sit down and read it, uh, but you need a reminder about why you sit down and read it. Well, I want to share something with you. Um, I, I want to I show you a way, someone talking about the Bible, uh, some of the language that they use. And so if you would, turn in the Bible to Psalm 119. It's in the middle of the Old Testament. And if you don't have a Bible, we've got these in the seat racks in front of you. Go ahead and grab one of those. And you can take this home with you if you want. That's our gift to you. Um, but you can find Psalm 119 on 425. So if you would, turn into Psalm 119. Just a little fun fact, Psalm 119 is the longest chapter in the Bible. We're going to read the whole thing today. No, no I'm just kidding. We're going to read verses 9 through 16. So if you would, jump down to verse 9, and we'll begin reading there. How can a young person stay on the path of purity? By living according to your word. I seek you with all of my heart. Do not let me stray from your commands. I have hidden your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. Praise be to you, Lord. Teach me your decrees. With my lips, I recount all the laws that come from your mouth. I rejoice in following your statutes as one rejoices in great riches. I meditate on your precepts and I consider your ways. I delight in your decrees. I will not neglect your word. Can you feel the emotion behind this? The way the psalmist views the scripture, the way he talks about it, it's awesome. I mean, it's, it's almost contagious. I don't, I don't know about you, but I don't always talk about the Bible like this. 
Hey, this, this is pretty, pretty awesome. Well, what is it about this Bible, about this word that the psalmist knows that, that makes him say these types of things, that makes him write like this? What is it? Why does he, why does he write like this? Well, let's, let's actually dig in and find out what, what leads him to have this view of Scripture. And so if maybe we can summarize his view of Scripture, and if you're following along in the notes, the psalmist has an incredible view of God's Word. The psalmist has an incredible view of God's Word. He says things like in verse 11, I have hidden your Word in my heart that I might not sin against you. Praise you, Lord. Worship you, Lord. Teach me your decrees. Teach me your word. I recount with my lips all of your your precepts, all of your laws. I meditate, I consider, I delight. He even says in verse 14, I rejoice in following your statutes as one rejoices in great riches. I mean, and picture someone who wins like the, the $100,000 sweepstakes at a big company. You know, they get all excited and they get the big 10-foot cardboard check or whatever. And, and this is all before they find out they got to pay taxes on it. I mean, this is the kind of celebration that the psalmist has. He rejoices in God's word like that. Now, it, he, he ends this section by saying uh, these words, I delight in your decrees. I will not neglect your word. Now, now, maybe for you, you're kind of like, delight? I don't really connect with that. It sounds kind of warm, fuzzy, kind of fluffy. Well, I think maybe how the psalmist is using this word here uh, is, is this. And if you're following along in your notes, delight is enjoying and celebrating, finding deep satisfaction in. Delight is enjoying and celebrating, finding deep satisfaction in. Think of it like, you know, your favorite team winning that playoff game and how the fans go crazy. That, that might be delight. Or, or think about the, the work project that you've been, been working on for weeks at, at, at your job and, and you finally get it finished and you look at it with satisfaction. That might be delight. Or, or think about maybe a family or, or vacation or something like that where you go and, and you're spending time with one another. You're sitting around a campfire telling stories, laughing together. That might be delight. I think this is the way the psalmist is thinking about the word of God. What is it that he knows about this word that leads him to say this? Well, I think it's because he knows that we seek the Lord through his word. If, if you would look in that first gray box at verse 10 on your message notes. Could we actually read this out loud together uh, as one voice? Here we go. I seek you with all my heart. Do not let me stray from your commands. See, he's connecting the Lord and the Bible. He says, I seek you with all my heart and don't let me stray from your commands. He's putting the two things together. He's seeing a very close connection to the, the word and God himself. And so I think this idea is, is implanted in his mind um, that reading the Bible is actually about connecting with the Lord himself. So if you're following along in the notes, reading the Bible is about connecting with the Lord. Reading the Bible is about connecting with the Lord. I mean, notice the language he uses. I seek you. Don't let me stray. These are directional words. They're pursuit. 
He sees himself as pursuing the Lord through his word. And so there's, there's this idea that I'm meeting God when I sit down and read. Now, now maybe today you came in and you're kind of skeptical about the Bible, but maybe you've never heard this, that when we read the Bible, we're actually meeting with the Lord. You know, it's not some book of random stories or, or, or oppressive rules that some disinterested God gave us. No, it's the one who created us. We get to meet with him in his word. Or, or maybe you, you find that this, this Bible is, is a really helpful thing, but you have a hard time with it. It feels like it's something to do, something you gotta check off your to-do list. The, the Lord wants to meet us it's, it's him himself that we're coming to, not just something that we're supposed to do to be right in his eyes, but rather we meet with him. It's, it's through the Bible that we actually connect with the Lord and learn about who he is and learn about who we are. And picture it like this. Think of sitting down uh, with a really good autobiography, you know, a really cool story, and you get to sit with the autobiographer, the author of the book. You get to read the story and actually talk to that person and get to know the person while reading the story. Well, that's, that's kind of what the Bible is like. We get to know the author when we sit down and read. But, but the Bible is more than that. It's not just his story. It's our story too. It's our story too because when, when we read the Bible, we get to know our creator, the one who made us and the one who loves us and what he's done to show us that love. And he shows us what's best for us. So this, this is our story too. This autobiography has everything to do with who we are. And so when we, when we connect with the Lord, and when we get to learn about who he is and learn about who we are, we also find out what's best for us. Now, you might be thinking, I was like, all right, you know, we got all these laws and rules and God tells me to do all these things. But the reason he does so is because he wants what's best for us. He doesn't want something from us. He wants something for us. And so a way to think about this is, is, what, is what is most conducive to our flourishing as human beings? When, when we come to the Bible, we get to see what's best for us. We get to see what God desires for us to have the best life that we can, one full of joy, peace, and love. And it doesn't mean it's gonna be easy, but it's, it's what we're made for because he's our creator. And so we get to see that in this story. We get to see our story play out. So if you're following along in the notes, here's maybe a good way to, to summarize it. It's about a person and a relationship meant to help us flourish. It's about a person, capital P, and a relationship that's meant to help us flourish. And we can see this play out in verse 9. You see this on your, your second gray box here. He talks about how a young person stays on the path of purity. It's by living according to God's word. Now, when he says young person, think of it like the young person in Proverbs. It's someone who is learning, receiving wisdom in that, in that state of, of, of growth and guidance. I don't think he necessarily means like a literal young person. I think he means everybody because it's never too late to be learning good habits and, and learning what God wants for us. And it's never too early either. I think what he's trying to tell us is that this is for everybody. And when he mentions the, the path of purity, 
I think it is this, this idea, this picture of our life full of hope, of joy, of peace, and love. This, this is not a I have to be perfect sort of purity. This is what's best for us sort of purity. And so when he talks about that, that's what he's saying. This is what's best for us. And so when we come to read the Bible, we connect with the Lord himself. We seek the Lord through his word. And when we get to know who he is, we get to know who we are and what's best for us. So this naturally leads to this idea. And this is the big idea of the whole sermon. So if you're following along in the notes, here it is. Seeking the Lord through his word changes our lives. Seeking the Lord through his word changes our lives. We see in the, in the psalm here that the psalmist understands is connecting with God. And I think he, he understands that when we come to him, our lives are going to be different. Now, maybe you're saying, is that really true? I mean, does this book really change my life? Can, can I tell you two stories? One from the life of Jesus and then one from my own. In Jesus' life, we, we can see a picture of this. Um, so as he begins his ministry, uh, he goes to the desert and he's, he's there for 40 days and 40 nights and he's fasting and he's getting really hungry. And that's when Satan shows up. He comes in to tempt him. And so in Matthew 4, we get the description of the scene like, like this. And, and what, what Jesus is, is faced with is, is this temptation. So look here on the screen on Matthew 4. The tempter came to him and said, if you are the son of God, tell these stones to become bread. Jesus answered, it is written, man shall not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. So Jesus is being tempted. And the first thing that Satan does is he knows he's hungry. He goes after that. And he says, I know who you are. Use your power, use your identity and change these stones into bread. Go ahead and feed yourself. Now, now Jesus was tempted because he was hungry. He, he would really like to eat. But he quotes scripture and he quotes this, man shall not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. Now, that's actually a quote from Deuteronomy 8. And, and in that chapter, we see Moses telling the Israelites about the story that they had been experiencing through the wilderness wanderings. And they had been uh, wandering in the wilderness for a long time, and they came to this moment where God decided to test them, to show them what was in their hearts. And he, and he did this through giving them manna. So if you actually see here on, in Deuteronomy 8 on the screen, the, these are the words that Moses is telling them. Remember how the Lord God led you all the way through the wilderness these 40 years to humble and to test you in order to know what was in your heart, whether or not you would keep his commands. He humbled you, causing you to hunger and then feeding you with manna, which neither you nor your ancestors had known to teach you that man does not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of the Lord. You see, this story was an instance where they had to go out and collect the food that they were going to eat that day. And God was providing it miraculously uh, each morning. It would show up on the ground. They'd go out and collect it. And then they'd take it in. They'd have food for the day. But it would spoil overnight. So they had to do it each day. Now, I don't know about you, but if I were there, there'd be part of me that's saying, is this really happening? I mean, come on. Am I going to really wake up and it's going to be there? There'd just be that small part of me that would question it. 
And I think that's what was happening with the Israelites. And so this, this was an act of trust. God wanted to show them, to teach them to trust him, to trust his promise, to trust his word. You see, they, they, if they didn't trust God, if they didn't trust his promise, they wouldn't go out and collect bread and therefore they wouldn't eat and they wouldn't live. And so it all starts on a choice that they had to make to trust God's promise and go out and collect the manna each day. And I think Jesus knew that. And that's why he quotes this scripture. See, it's all about trust. Jesus was in a moment where he had to choose to trust God. He had the power to turn those stones into bread. He could have done that. God had given him that ability. But he said, I'm gonna trust God's way instead of my own. And I'm not gonna do what Satan's prompting me to do. I'm gonna trust that he's gonna give me what I need. And so I, I think what we see here in this story in Jesus is an opportunity to learn trust. And so he's making that choice to live on God's word, the word of trust. And I think we see that throughout his entire life. And so for us, when we read this Bible, we have a choice to make. We can connect with God and learn to trust him, or we cannot. And so when we learn to trust him, we begin to make choices decisions based on that trust. And our character begins to reflect that more and more. And so I think, I think we get to this idea, and if you're following along in the notes, we are changed to be more like Jesus. We are changed to be more like Jesus. When we seek the Lord through his word, we learn to trust him. And we learn to trust him for what's best for us. And, and depend on him and his character. Now, now maybe you still aren't convinced. Uh, does this really change our lives? Well, can I tell you a story from my own life? Is that okay? Um, I, I just want to warn you, th- this, this story's a little bit tough for me. Um, it has to do with my sister, Kaylee. Uh, now, maybe, maybe you know her story, maybe you don't. Um, Kaylee, when she was 13 years old, uh, was diagnosed with leukemia. We noticed that she'd been getting sick and, and couldn't figure out why until finally one day we took her to the hospital and uh, they found leukemia there. And um, it was pretty touch and go there for a while. But we weren't sure if she was going to pull through. Um, and after about six weeks in the hospital, she did. She came through that initial period, that initial stage. And they got her on a treatment plan and she was doing great. Um, things were looking really, really good. Well, I was in seminary at the time and uh, I was taking a preaching class. And I was preaching on John 11. And this is the story of Lazarus. Uh, Lazarus was a friend of Jesus, and Lazarus got sick, and he eventually died. Um, but Jesus showed up uh, in a miraculous way. He healed um, Lazarus and raised him from the dead. And, and in that story, Jesus makes this claim, this statement, I am the resurrection and the life. And that hit me in a new way. Um, I, I began to think about it in terms of all that I was experiencing and all that Kaylee was experiencing. And I, and I began to see it in a new way. And, and so the, the, I think the Lord was prompting me to think on this more, to, to understand it in a little more deep way. And so I incorporated all this into my sermon. And I can actually still remember the, the main idea I was trying to communicate with that sermon. It was this, so we can face death with the hope of the resurrection. 
And, and I think Jesus was making the claim over my sister's life that I am the resurrection, I am the life, and I'm over her life. And, and that was something that just stuck with me. I think he planted that deep within my heart. Little did I know uh, how important that would be. Uh, it was right around this time, um, those years ago, that Kaylee started to, uh, she went back in for a checkup and they found um, more leukemia was growing back. And so they decided to ramp up her, her treatment schedule and um, make things uh, a lot more intense. Uh, well, and that took its toll on her body. Eventually she had to be hospitalized again. Um, she was here in Springfield for a long time, but then we had to go down to St. Louis at Children's. And uh, things just kept getting worse, kept getting worse until she finally died in, in May of that year. But it was in that experience that God brought this idea back over and over again to my mind. I am the resurrection and the life. He was making that claim over my sister's life, over my life. And he was basically saying nothing can touch her because she belongs to me. She had trusted Jesus with her life. She had handed her life over to Christ. And, and, and that was the place where I could find hope. It didn't make things easier. It, it didn't make them softened. But it allowed me to embrace the messiness and to go through it. You see, this idea, this truth changed me. It allowed me to trust the Lord through all of this. It changed my life. That is the power of the word. That is what God does when we come to him and we learn about who he is, learn who we are, and hide that in our hearts. This is the power of what God does in his word. So how, how do we practically do this? How do we see this life change play out in a, in a real way? Well, this is where we get to the, to the Bible challenge part. And so if you're following along in the notes, we practice life change by planning and seeking. We practice life change by planning and seeking. Let me, let me kind of explain this more fully, and I want to use a visual aid, so this may or may not be helpful for you, but uh, I found it helpful for me. So what we've got here are, uh, are three circles, and um, it's kind of like a bullseye. And so we've got three words. Um, discipline is in the outer circle, desire in the, the middle circle, and then delight in the inner circle. Um, this is a way that, that I found helpful for me to think about what's playing out when we, when we commit to reading the Bible. So Discipline is the hard stuff. It's, it's the habits. Uh, it's committing to a plan and where we cultivate the discipline of doing something. Well, over time, after we've committed to it, we can begin to see that we want to do the thing that we've committed to. This is where the desire begins to well up in us and we begin to want it. And then over time, we see that desire giving way to delight. Now, if you remember, we de define delight as enjoying, celebrating, finding deep satisfaction in. I, I think that's what's at play here. So when we, when we commit to the discipline of reading the word, it begins to change us. We begin to see the desire to want to read it. And, and that leads to delight, to enjoying that time. 
Now, I, well, I'm going to give you three, three suggestions or three helpful things to, to play this out. It doesn't necessarily correspond one-to-one -to, -one to the circles, but there's some echoes in there. So hopefully this is helpful for you. So if you're following along in the notes, number one, commit to a plan that works for you. Commit to a plan that works for you. This is about finding a plan this next year that you yourself can accomplish, that, that's something that you um, can see play out. Um, so if you flip over your message notes, you'll see some suggestions there. These are some different plans that we've, we've found helpful, um, that people have done and, and found a, a valuable resources. Again, these are just suggestions. Um, but you can do the one-year Bible or the one-year chronological Bible. This would be uh, reading the entire Bible in the whole year. You know, you've got a few different parts of the Bible each day, several chapters kind of thing. Um, you can also do the Bible in 90 days. That's a, a big picture overview, reading a lot each day uh, to get through the Bible quickly. You can also go to BibleGateway.com or get the YouVersion app. These are uh, electronic resources. They have a variety of different plans, both short and long, uh, and they've got some different resources for you. Or you can create your own. Um, one of the things for me, two years ago, I did the one-year Bible. I read through the whole thing. I had just gotten done with seminary, and I think I needed that big picture overview, be reminded of the whole Bible again. Well, last year, my wife and me, we, um, we actually read a chapter a day. We were reading the same chapter as each other. And we got to actually spend some time occasionally talking about what we were learning. And that was really helpful for us to do one chapter and to be able to, to dig in together. And then this year, what my plan is, I'd like to um, actually read a little bit shorter of a chunk. So I'm going to do paragraphs or stories. And I'm going to dig in deeper into a smaller section of Scripture. I think this is, this is going to be helpful for me because I really want to dig into to the Bible again. I want to really see the, the depth of a given small chunk of, of the text. But basically, you want to find one that works for you. Find something that is attainable and realistic for you. Now, this may mean you're reading a few verses a day for five or ten minutes, and that's great. Or maybe you're reading a few verses and you're spending an hour doing that. That's, that's great, too. But find something that's realistic for you and that fits your personality. Now, the emphasis is not on volume. We're not asking you to read as much as you can. We're actually looking for consistency. We want you to be in the Word in some form each day. Now, let me just say this. If you miss a day, it's okay. It's okay. We really want you to commit. We really want you to follow through. But what we don't want you to do is to beat yourself up when you miss. It's okay. It's about getting consistency. It's not about checking the box on your to-do list. So that's what we're looking for. We're looking for consistency. And can you, can you commit to that? Okay, so that's number one. Number two, if you're following along in the notes, hide the word in you through prayer and reflection. Hide the word in you through prayer and reflection. This is where we move away from the to-do list sort of mindset, where we uh, actually spend time allowing the word to penetrate deep into our hearts. Um, the psalmist actually gives us some ideas or some pictures of what that looks like. He says, I consider your precepts. I've hidden your word in, in my heart that I might not sin against you. I delight in your word. I rejoice in your word. I meditate on your word. These are all different ways to maybe capture this. Now, when, when he says the word meditate, 
Um, he's not talking about like the Eastern meditation, Buddhist style sort of thing where we're emptying ourselves. That's, that's not at all what he's saying. He's actually saying the opposite. He's saying we should be filled up with the word of God. We should be filling our minds with God's word. And that's what I think he's saying when he says meditate. We're going to be filling ourselves up. Um, so one of the ways that maybe you could do this is if you look on the back of your notes again, you see this acronym SOAP. We've talked about this before. This is just a way to maybe play some of this out. Um, so you read this scripture, and I would suggest reading it slowly, uh, and then observe things. What sticks out to you? What is God trying to say when you read? So observe things. Take, take some mental notes. And then ask yourself the question, what am I supposed to do with this? What is God leading me to do differently? And then all the while, you're praying through it. You're doing it with the Lord. It's going back and sitting down with that autobiographer and, and doing it together. So that's one of the things that we keep in our minds this whole time is we're connecting with the Lord himself through reading his word. And so maybe this is meditation where you, you play over again and again in your mind. Maybe a, a helpful image is like chewing gum. You know, you over, oh, you're chewing on it. You can get as, mo, as much flavor as you can out of it. You know, playing it over and over again in your mind. Maybe memorization is a helpful way to do that. If you memorize a verse that sticks out to you, this is a great way to hide the word in your heart. So this, this, is, uh, this is something that, that might be new for you. We're actually gonna practice this a little bit after the sermon. Um, we're, we're, gonna, we're gonna take some time and, and practice this together. What does it look like to hide the word in our hearts? How do we do this? And so I'll give you some instruction on that in a little bit. But that's number two, hide the word in your heart. Uh, number three, if you're following along, do this in community, accountability and encouragement. Do this in community for accountability and encouragement. We are not meant to do the Christian life alone. We're called to be in relationship with one another. We're called to share life with one another. We're called to be in community. And so I think, I think one helpful way might be to share what your, what your plan is with someone else, whether it's a friend, a family member, a spouse, or, or your life group. And if you're not in a life group, I've heard about this really great event that's coming up. Maybe you should check that out. But, but share this with your group because there you find accountability and encouragement. Now, now accountability, not in the sense that they'll beat you over the head when you miss, but they'll motivate you. You're doing this together with somebody. And they can ask, how's it going? How can we help you? And they can encourage you when you're doing well and, and celebrate the win. So that's, that's the benefit of doing this with folks. And maybe you actually do the same plan as someone else. That might be a helpful way to go about it. So we're doing this in community. So these are three suggestions that I have for you in, in thinking through a plan and how to, how to play it out. But all the while, the purpose is not to check the, the box on your to-do list. It's about connecting with the Lord himself. We get to meet the Lord in his word. We get to know him. We get to seek him in it. And it's there that life change happens. So here's, here's the challenge. Be in the Bible every day this next year. Will you? If you're following along in the notes, here's our question. Will you join us in reading the Bible daily for life change in 2015?
Will you join us in reading the Bible daily for life change in 2015? We invite you to this. We invite you to, to get into the Bible each day for some amount of time. And let's see what the Lord wants to do. Imagine if our entire church family were to commit to this and to follow through on it. How might things be different? The, the receptionist at the gym every day that you walk past, just a little bit more and a little bit more sees Jesus in us. Imagine how our community might be different, how they might desire what we have. They'll see Jesus in us and want him too. Life change can happen. God wants to do that in us. So will we commit to it? Will we read the Bible together for life change? Because seeking the Lord through his word changes our lives. Would you join me in a word of prayer? Lord, we are so thankful for your word. We are so grateful, Lord, that you have given us your word and that you meet us when we read it. Father, we appreciate how you meet us where we are, regardless of our backgrounds, where we come from, what's happened in our lives. You meet us. And Lord, we say thank you for that. And thank you for showing that you want what's best for us. Father, I pray that as we commit to this, as our church family uh, decides together to, to read the Bible this next year, Lord, would you change our lives? Would we be more and more like Christ because of our time in your word? Lord, it is so great to be a part of a church family that commits to this, that does this together. Lord, I pray that your kingdom would be uh, grown and furthered because of this. Thank you, Father, for meeting us here. We love you. We trust you, Lord. It's in your name that we pray. Amen. Well, now we're going to put into practice this hiding piece, this reflecting piece, because it, it might be a little bit new for you. Maybe you've never tried this before. Um, so what we're going to do is I'm going to read a little bit of a psalm, Psalm 103. I'm going to read it through twice, and we're, and we're going to go slow through it. I'm going to read it all at once, um, and, and just what I want you to do is after I read it, I'm going to pause, take that time to think about what you've heard. Think about what God might be saying to you, what sticks out in your mind. Just allow that to, to fill your mind. And then we'll read it again through very slowly, verse by verse. And just let the Lord speak to you. Let this, the truth of these words just get deep into your mind, into your heart. And then I'll pray, and then we're actually going to close with a song that's based on this psalm. And we'll do that together. So let's just take a moment to be still and silent before the Lord. my soul. All my inmost being, praise his holy name. Praise the Lord, my soul, and forget not all his benefits. Who forgives all your sins and heals all your diseases. Who redeems your life from the pit and crowns you with love and compassion. 
the Lord works righteousness and justice for all the oppressed. The Lord is compassionate and gracious, slow to anger, abounding in love. Praise the Lord, my soul. All my inmost being, praise his holy name. Praise the Lord, my soul, and forget not all his benefits. forgives all your sins. And heals all your diseases. redeems your life from the pit. And crowns you with love and compassion. works righteousness and justice for all the oppressed. The Lord is compassionate and gracious, slow to anger, abounding in love. Thank you, Lord, for your word. Thank you that you meet us when we read it that we get to connect with you, that we can seek you through it. 
I pray, Lord, that you would hide these words in our hearts, plant them deep within us, so that, Lord, when we need them, that you'll bring them to mind and they can provide us strength and courage and remind us of who you are and who we are in you. Lord, we praise you. Thank you for who you are. Thank you for meeting us. Thank you for your word. It is in your name that we pray. Amen.